the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. come down at the end of the day and he tries to put them all in the sheep pen. He starts counting them and realizes he's down one. He's missing one. Now, it looks a little heartless here because it says that he leaves the 99. You know, almost like he, you know, he doesn't care. He's just going to leave these 99. He's not neglectful, okay? Again, when Jesus ties the parable at the end, he says the 99 are the righteous because he, he says there, he says, you know, I tell you that in the same way, verse 7, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the idea is that the 99 are fine. Have you ever heard the parable of the shepherd searching for the one lost sheep and wondered about all the sheep he left behind? As Pastor Gary will point out in today's message, you might feel a tinge of jealousy on behalf of the 99 sheep. Is that one lost sheep more important than the others? Of course not. Those sheep are safe in the confines of the fold. They don't need rescuing because the shepherd knows that they are already safe. That's what he wants for that lost and endangered sheep. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 15 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Luke's Gospel chapter 15 is where we are. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles with me to Luke's Gospel chapter 15. We come to a section of Scripture again. As I mentioned, we're in a section of the Gospel of Luke that is very unique only to the Gospel of Luke, and this is the case with three parables that Jesus teaches here in chapter 15. The entirety of chapter 15 of Luke has to do with these three different parables, and some would say, as uh, they study through this, some Bible scholars say that it is really one parable told from three angles. So, you, you know, you can have that view if you'd like, or you can see it as three different parables. It is true that certainly these three parables have some commonality, uh, but I think that they are three distinct parables. Having said that, let me share with you what they all do share in common. These three parables are different in that one is a parable having to do with a lost sheep, one is a parable having to do with a lost coin, and one is a parable having to do with a lost son. But they are very similar in certain ways. All of them represent different types of people as we'll see in a moment when we go through these parables. All are lost. That is one thing that they all start out as. The sheep is lost, the coin is lost, the son is lost. All are worth recovering because there is great effort in seeing that each one is restored, that is lost. Having said that, however, all require different methods to reach them. 
And we'll see that as Jesus takes us through these parables, that there's a different approach that is necessary to properly recover that which is lost. And it differs from item to item or parable to parable. And yet, at the same time, all of these parables have a joyful ending, that that which was lost has been recovered, and every single one of them end on this upbeat, rejoicing tone. As you'll see through these parables, there is rejoicing, there is celebration, because that which was lost has been found. So let's take a look here at the first parable having to deal with the parable of the lost sheep. And that's from a verse, well, we'll start at verse 1, but the parable actually starts at verse 3 and goes down through verse 7. So let me read that one first. So verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and, quote, sinners were all gathering around to hear him, that is Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, you know, notice their disposition is always, you know, better than, superior than. They felt like sinners you shouldn't associate with, you shouldn't have any contact with. Of course, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. His ministry is to sinners. And by the way, because he has uh, given us the mantle of ministry, if you will, that the church is to represent Christ in a lost and dying world, we're to be that light, we're to be that salt, Uh, we are to be that example and that witness. So, you know, we kind of need to have contact with, quote, sinners too, because we're all sinners saved by grace, and um, somebody came along and had contact with us at some point, and so we're thankful for the influence that somebody had in our own lives to come to, to faith in Christ, if you know him as your Savior. And so Jesus, in response to this, says, teaches the first parable, verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully, see that word there, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice. Again, here's that tone of rejoicing. Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So it brings us here to the first parable, the parable of the lost sheep. And um, again, the context is in relation to people who are lost, because he ends that by telling us so. He says, you know, in the same way, I tell you that it'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the obvious context is he's talking about people who are lost, who are sinners, who need to be saved, and he talks in terms of people being like sheep. There's interesting parallels throughout the Bible about sheep and people. In fact, in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, 6 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, that is on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. So the Bible compares us to sheep in different places. And by the way, if you think it's a compliment, it's not. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Three things I want to point out about sheep so you can get a better appreciation for this story, because remember, we don't live in an agrarian culture. 
per se anymore. They did in Jesus' day. They were used to farming. They understood about sheep. So we don't know too much about sheep. So let me help you understand based on a little bit of research and, you know, being to Israel a few times and seeing how sheep actually act and live. But number one, I hate to be a little disingenuous towards the sheep, but number one, sheep are dumb. I mean, you just have to know that. Sheep are dumb. They are senseless. They get lost easily. You leave them out somewhere, they cannot find their way home. They're about the only bunch within the animal kingdom who just, they don't have really any kind of common sense. They couldn't find their way out of a paper bag. They are just senseless animals. Uh, they are easily frightened. They, uh, they can't even find food or water on their own. You know, in the 23rd Psalm, when it talks about how he leadeth me beside still waters, that's a shepherd's psalm, talking about us, again, like sheep. He leads us beside still waters. You know why that's in there? Because sheep will not drink from running water. Did you know that? They're scared of it. If it's moving, they're like, bah, bah, bah. So they won't even drink if the water's moving. You can't take them to a creek. You can't take them to a river. They won't drink. They're scared of it. Partly because they probably realize if they fall in, they're going to the bottom quick. You try to go swimming with 20 sweaters on. <laughs> you're going to just explode with a bunch of water and you're going to sink to the bottom. So they know this about themselves, so they don't even want to get near running water. So a shepherd has to lead sheep beside still water so that it's calm, so that they will actually drink it. So they're easily spooked. They have real no sense. They easily get lost. They have poor sense of smell, poor sense of hearing, and they travel in mobs. So where one goes, the other go, and they don't even know why they're doing it. And I shared this with you a couple of months ago, how I read this story in the paper about how a flock of 1,500 sheep in Turkey all went off a cliff because one didn't watch where he was going, and just, ah, and off the cliff he went, and all of them followed the sheep. Now, the crazy thing is, I mentioned this, but this is just the funniest story to me. Out of 1,500 sheep, only 450 died when they fell off the cliff. Because the first 450 <laughs> hit the ground dead, and the others fell on cotton, basically. <laughs> boing, 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 you know, so. But the whole flock went off of the cliff because one was just like, and then they all followed. So they're just, I, I don't know how else to say it. They're just dumb animals. And now aren't you glad that the Bible compares us to one? But that's the kind that we have here. These are senseless animals. They, I mean, what, besides shaving them, getting some wool, maybe making some cheese out of them, you know, what good are they? Have you ever seen sheep in a circus? Have you ever seen a police officer with a sheep, attacked sheep? You know, it just, there's no sheep nine unit. They, they would make a terrible, you know, guard dog. They just, and they're probably an embarrassment to the rest of the animal kingdom. Have you ever heard them growl when they get mad? Bah. That's it. It's a joke. Makes the rest of the animal kingdom embarrassed. They're dumb. Number two, they're defenseless. Think about it. Bears have sharp claws. Alligators, sharp jaws. Lions got a strength and a roar. Some animals can change colors. Some animals can run really fast to get away. 
What does sheep sheep do? Nothing. Zero. They just stand there with little tiny hooves and spindly legs. That's it. Very defenseless. And as a result, they make for great prey for wolves because they are just defenseless animals. So they're wide open targets uh, for wolves to attack. Uh, thirdly, they're dirty. They're dirty animals. I know in all the you know, mattress commercials, they all look so pretty and fluffy and white. Okay, Not like that in real life. They're stinky, smelly, dirty animals. The reason is because their skin constantly secretes an oil. And we have a word for it. It's called lanolin. Lanolin comes from the oil that sheep excrete. Well, as a result, you excrete that much oil. Now you're walking around constantly coated with oil on your skin and on your uh, wool. And guess what happens? Everything sticks to you. You're like walking Velcro. Everything sticks to you. And so as a result, sheep are known to just have their own urine and excrement and dirt, everything. Every place they go, it sticks to them because of the oil. So now how are you feeling about yourself? (laughs) The Bible says that you're dumb, defenseless, and dirty. Because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own ways. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. It is a picture of humanity. We all can be senseless, we all can be defenseless, and we can all be dirty. Sin has marred us all. And Jesus says we're, we're all like sheep. Now, what happens though, because when you understand all that about sheep, now you understand here the heart of the shepherd. Because there's one sheep missing from a hundred. And, you know, you're trying to envision this day. It's the end of a long day. Maybe the, sheep, maybe the shepherd has, you know, corralled his sheep now in, a, in, in some kind of a sheep pen area. And he's going around counting, making sure he's got them all. They've been wandering over the hillsides. They've been wandering over valleys and over, you know, through gorges and, and around different places in the countryside. And then they come down at the end of the day and he tries to put them all in the sheep pen. He starts counting them and realizes he's down one. He's missing one. Now, it looks a little heartless here because it says that he leaves the 99. You know, almost like he, you know, he doesn't care. He's just going to leave these 99. He's not neglectful, okay? Again, when Jesus ties the parable at the end, he says the 99 are the righteous. Because he, he says there, he says, you know, I tell you that in the same way, verse 7, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over the one sinner who repents and over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. So the idea is that the 99 are fine. Okay, they're not the issue. So when you look at the parable, don't think that one shepherd is so neglectful. The 99 are fine. They're being taken care of. Maybe they're in a sheep pen. Maybe in those days as well, we know this, that sometimes shepherds traveled together. So maybe there was another shepherd who was standing watch while the one went to search for the one that was lost. So, you know, don't look at the parable and think how neglectful the 99 were left. No, they were fine. They were taken care of. But it shows you the extent to which the shepherd would go to find the one that was lost. And you got to picture him backtracking, where have we been? Let me search every valley. Let me look in every cave. Let, let me go through every hillside here to find that one that was lost. Because here's the reality of the sheep. A sheep knows it's lost, but can't find its way back home. Because of everything I've already said about sheep. So they, know, they have a sense like, that they know that they're lost. They just don't know how to get back home. And as a result, the shepherd here has to go after the sheep that is lost, and then he finds it. And it says here, and it's a beautiful picture, and some of you have maybe paintings about this. It says that he 
In verse 5, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Now, again, that makes for a pretty picture. It isn't, isn't that very pastoral. But uh, the truth is that we know in those days what sometimes a shepherd would do. And it sounds cruel, but it's really not. Sometimes what a shepherd would do is to break the leg of the sheep that wandered a lot. And he would do that so that then that sheep, having a broken leg, the shepherd would then put the sheep around his neck. And what that would do is it would bond the heart of the sheep to the heart of the shepherd. While that sheep healed, that sheep would be around the neck of that shepherd. And it would create a bond and it would create a connection there. And that sheep was less likely to wander in the future because it had developed then a closeness to the shepherd. And there are times I can look back in my life and I'm thankful that God broke my leg and he put me close to him on his shoulder and he developed that heart relationship with me that was lacking in me and he brought me closer through difficulty and through distress and through trials. And when you experience that brokenness, don't rush the process because it's good to just be on the, around the neck and the shoulders of the shepherd and let him lead you in a new way while you heal. So that's this picture here. Now, if it's a picture of people, because it is, then the question becomes, what are we to do for people like this? What are we to do for people? They know they're lost. You know, they have an understanding. They're not right with God, and they realize that they're lost, but they can't seem to find their way home. They don't know what to do. And what are we to do in those situations is what the shepherd did here in the story. We're to carry them. We're to help them. We are to assist them. We are to be the ones that bring them to Jesus. We are to go after them. We are to pursue them. We are to look for them. And then when they show to us that they are wanting to have this relationship, but they just don't know how to do it, that's where you and I come in to help them understand what it is to know the good shepherd. But because they recognize their lostness, but they don't know how to get to God, that's where you and I are to come in and to help kind of carry them along and help them understand what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. And we are to be in that position of going after, searching for. And then again, it ends here with this joyful thing. Oh, this is a time of rejoicing. I have found my lost sheep. And then you get this picture here in verse 7 of what goes on in heaven when a sinner gets saved. Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there is rejoicing in heaven. There is a symphony of praise going on among the angels around the throne of God. For one, every single time a sinner repents and turns to Christ, there is worshiping in heaven. There is a symphony of praise going on in heaven over one sinner who repents. Every single time, because every life is significant. So we need to be those who would help carry people along. They know they're lost, but they can't find their way back home. That's the parable of the sheep. Now we come here, secondly, to the parable of the lost coin. And that's only a couple of verses, uh, starting at verse 8. Jesus says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, here we go again, rejoice, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. 
So again, same theme, but now a different angle. Now Jesus tells the story of lostness from the standpoint of a coin. Uh, it's very interesting in this one versus the other two because, uh, he, again, he's comparing people to a lost coin. And I think in the sense that sometimes people are like money. They are valuable. They're worth something. But they're not really thinking. Now, what do I mean by that? This is the one out of the three parables where Jesus uses an inanimate object. This is a non-thinking object here. It's a coin. It doesn't have a heart. It doesn't have emotion. It is a coin. You know, even the sheep can think. The sun can think. But the story here of the coin, um, of all these three parables, it's the only non-thinking, inanimate object. It has no awareness that it's lost. Now, that's different from the sheep. The sheep knew it was lost, didn't know how to find its way back home. In this story... The coin doesn't even know it's lost, but you do. You know, the woman in the story, she knew the coin was lost. Did the coin know it was lost? The coin didn't know it was lost. And so what did she have to do? She went after it. She went searching for it. And that's what we are to do with, for those who don't even know that they are lost. We need to go after them. We need to have this passion and desire to see that they would get saved. What does this woman do? You can kind of get this vision. She's going through her whole house. She's turning over every pillow. She's searching down through the crevices of the couch. She's sweeping the house. She's looking for this lost coin and she finally finds it. And when she does, she rejoices. But sometimes as it relates to people, you will have contact with people and they're not even aware of their lost state. And this is very difficult because the reality is you can't necessarily convince somebody of their lostness. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has to come and do His good work in our hearts to bring us to the place where we are even aware of our need for a Savior. And there are a lot of friends that you have and co-workers and neighbors that you know, they have no clue how lost they are. They just don't. And what we need to be about is praying and helping that God would bring them to the place where they would recognize their need for a Savior. Some people are just too jolly well happy in life to recognize the deepest sin issue of their heart and how desperately wicked they are and how sinful every single human being is. And without that understanding, you will have no need, you think, or desire for a Savior. And so we need to pray the Holy Spirit will work in a person's life to bring them to that place where they're aware. And we have to be then ready and look for opportunities because there will be multiple chances for us to be instruments of the Lord in the lives of people who don't recognize that they're lost because there will be things that come along. And what happens when they feel hopeless? Well, you have hope. And what happens when they feel helpless and you have joy? And what happens when they feel guilty and you know forgiveness? And what happens when their life is just falling apart at the seams and you have peace? What happens when all of that begins to transpire in their life? And it will. At some point, every single person will feel at some stage or some point in their life, maybe a little hopeless, maybe a little helpless, maybe a little guilty, maybe a little shameful, maybe have a, a lack of peace, there's full of strife, there's anxiety, there's worry, all these kind of things. They're going through a time of grief. They're going through a variety of experiences in their lifetime which God can use to bring them to the place where they recognize then their own lostness. And what happens then? You and I had better be there. And we had better be there to tell them the reason for the hope that we have. 
the reason for the joy that we have, the reason for the grace and forgiveness that we've experienced, to tell them the story about the saving knowledge of Christ so that we can be that influence in the lives of people who don't even know how lost they are. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website, Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection.